Welcome aboard Living the Dream, the podcast that brings you on a weekly adventure exploring the world of kosher food, travel, lifestyle, and so much more. Each week, get the scoop on what's new and hot in the kosher lifestyle world and hear great stories from industry pros. Turn up the volume. Now, here's your host, Douglas Sockloff. Here we go. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining Living the Dream Powered by the Douglas Sackloff Experience. I know I always usually start off my show by, first of all, thanking my producer, my engineer behind, uh, the man behind the scenes, Sean from Go Simcha. So I always like to give him a shout out. And I always like to start off by saying, I don't know. I always say I'm excited. I'm beyond excited today. I am absolutely, absolutely uh, beyond excited. I'm going to use the word honored. That's what I'm going to use today. Honored in all capitals. My guest today. Someone uh, extremely special person, someone I go way back with. We had the opportunity uh, years ago uh, working together in, in an organization. I think right when uh, her career was just uh, beginning to start and evolve and, and what a career it has been. I'm going to do a little bit more of the introduction until I hand it over and really formally introduce my guest. Um, because I think people are going to be surprised when they hear uh, who's, who's on the other uh, end of of this podcast, and like I said, it's really incredible. So today, I am humbled, I am honored to have the one, the only, Ziva Glantz, who in any search that I did, not that I needed to do searches on you, uh, what comes up is really, really phenomenal. Israel's only from woman rainmaker, and I know you will definitely have things to say on that stand, but just to continue with your bio, um, what I, what I as, as I've known, is that Ziva, you, you've work with so many different things. You do so many other things. And I, I have, when I was taking notes, getting prepared uh, for this conversation, there's so many different topics that I want to cover with you. But just for from, from a bio perspective, um, Ziva, you guide major international investors through uh, it, navigating how to do business in, in Israel, helping them bring their, their projects to fruition. On Shabbos, and I know it's a lot more than on Shabbos, you are a Reviton. Um organizing tishes for hundreds of boys. It, your house is always incredibly uh, open. Your husband, Rev. Daniel, is an incredibly special guy. It's like uh, two different specials of, of a power couple that we have here, and I love him very, very much. And I know it's always so, um, when, whenever I, I, I tell people um, about that I know Rev. Daniel from Mibaseret, uh, the Mashkiach Ruchani, that there was like, oh, how do you know Rev. Daniel? How do you know Rev. Daniel? And he, he, in his own um, right, right, right mind, we, we could have him on this po- on a podcast for all the incredible things that he does, the 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 connections that he has um, with with his Talmudim, how that spreads over into into your house and into all the great things that you that that you do. Uh, but um, that's why I like to call you guys uh, the Power Couple. You are from. Originally Pacific, New Jersey, you made Aliyah at a very, very young age, um, and you live your life by uh, being a, an incredible role model on so many, so many different fronts. Um, I have this quote here that you were thrown in the lines then, you recalled, and you had to lose the accent so as not to get bullied. I think that's uh, a great a great way to start up because, to start off because... Uh, like I said, there's there's so many different hats uh, that you wear on so many different fronts and so many things that you represent. And uh, 
everybody, Ziva Glantz. How are you, Ziva? Hey, Doug. This is amazing. Well, I am, like I said, not to be repetitive, but I'm truly, truly honored. I think the bio that I just gave you is just really a a tip of the iceberg of uh, all your uh, accomplishments uh, that, that, that you've done and that you do every single day. Um, I think there's so much to discuss. Like I said, I always like to keep my conversations between 30 and 35 minutes. I know we could go on for hours and hours and hours. We've known each other. Um, I want to just jump right into it. And I know my intro just really didn't do um, the gamut, but there's so many things that I, 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 I want to discuss. I like to call you behind the scenes Ziva, okay? And before I'm even going to let you um, give us a little bit more of an introduction can you tell us what it is, because um, I'm sure like most people who are very, very active and involved in, in, in behind the scenes, you wake up with the day, you have a list of things to do. And after five minutes of being up or being woken up by an early mor- morning phone call, you see that day's not going to play out because certain things have come across uh, your phone, your computer, or knock at the door. Can you give us first a great hello you could give your own little two seconds if you want to talk about yourself, but what a day starts out like for Ziva Glantz. Okay, well, first of all, I want to start out by saying that the adoration is mutual. Uh, always has been, like you said, we Thank go you. back a lot of years. And uh, one of our favorite people. Uh, in, in terms Thank of you. what I do, I, I like to say that I am a shadchan. I like to bring good people together with good projects and do good things for Israel. And that's, you know, that's basically what it boils down to and how we get that done is, um, I guess, the, the magic sauce, you know, how we actually make those successful. Um, in terms of my day, I think my, my biggest goal in my day is probably to not let my WhatsApp run my life. Um, so I, I wake up, I do try to have a few moments before things start getting crazy. Uh, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But I do try to center myself, try to dive in actually first thing in the morning. Um, and then I, I catch up. Um, I'm working very much towards trying to really section out my time, you know, so there's times where I'm answering emails, there's time where I'm answering WhatsApp because otherwise things will just be nonstop. And, you know, I love what I do and I love the people that I work with. And usually uh, it's a lot of hours during the day. I've, uh, thank God, my family is flexible. I try to work where I can with them around me so that they don't feel abandoned in any way. But, um, you know, that's how we kind of bring it all together and we keep our head to the ground, we work hard and uh, make sure that things are actually getting done. And Ziva, is there a, a specific company, organization that you are affiliated with? Um, it, or is it just um, Ziva Glance gets it done? Uh, well, the people who, who come to me with projects, uh, they get to me, you know, they come to me because they need a project manager in Israel who knows how to work within the bureaucracy in Israel. Again, bureaucracy can either be your best friend, especially in Israel, or it could be your worst friend. Uh, it's your worst friend if you get stuck in 12 years of red tape. And it's your best friend if you know how to work within the system. And there is a method to the Israeli madness. They don't tell you uh, that method. It's not anything that they're ever going to tell you. It's how they test you to see how much you know and if you're worth their time. But there is a method to working within the bureaucratic madness here. And if you know how to utilize that system to your advantage, not in a negative way, not in an in a le- all-legal way, you have to specify that now in a post-BB uh, universe, but if you know how to uh, work from the top down and get um, the, the things done from the top level and have the, the uh, authorities, you know, basically give the message down the chain of command, 
then you can get things done in a timely manner and a successful manner that protects the bottom line of the investors. And generally speaking, I, I work in infrastructure projects, I guess we'll call it, um, cemeteries, you know, we're trying to help uh, groups who are wanting, looking to make Aliyah to find them different communities uh, that are appropriate for them, that are, have the housing and education that they're looking for. So uh, I definitely have a wonderful group of investors and people that I'm involved with, wonderful groups and people that come to me. Um, but generally speaking, you know, we kind of try to help where we can be helpful. And we're going to go a little bit, we'll deepen, we'll dive into that a little deeper in a minute. I want to jump back to one thing that I saw yesterday. Yesterday on your Facebook, uh, which I'm a, a big follower of you on your social media channels, um, you had a post regarding Jonathan Pollard and his wife who just passed away. It's one of um, many stories that you um, you get yourself, I don't know if it's act- actively involved or people find you. And is I, I want you to touch upon that because I think it's very appropriate right now. The whole Jonathan Jonathan Pollard, his wife, um, the, the story is an incredible story. Uh, we're in here uh, where I'm based out of in 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 the East Coast in New Jersey. Uh, good friends, people that I know, were just so involved in for years in supporting Jonathan Pollard in his legal battle in in, in getting his freedom um, back to Israel. And now you you posted yesterday this incredible post. Um, if you could just bring us up to speed on that. Sure. Uh, it was a, not a, a call that you usually get. Uh, like I said, it was two hours before Shabbos and my phone rang with a private number. And I thought it was the States calling before Shabbos. And you have all those family calls that happen right before Shabbos uh, with a time difference. And so I picked it up and in the most casual tone, as if it was nothing special, uh, I hear, hi, Ziva, it's Jonathan Pollard. And trying to match his his tone, I said, "Oh, hi, Jonathan. How you doing?" You know, as if this is originally. Did you think originally? Did you think it was me, like making a joke, like saying, "Hi, it's uh, Jonathan Pollard." It, it took a second. It took a second for me to just like process, you know, that if he had just said who he was, um, you know, and, and I was literally in the middle of like watering plants on my on my porch, you know. So I had to sort of take a second and collect myself. But um, you know, he was just so lovely and uh, so nonchalant. You know, no airs about him. And we actually had a fantastic conversation. He had heard that I was trying to promote a certain type of project that he had a very strong interest in and something that he had thought about during his 35 years in prison. And he was very interested in hearing my take on it and and my opinion and how we could potentially uh, move something forward. And it was such a wonderful conversation that we didn't even want to hang up. We spoke literally till candlelighting. And um, then when I said to him, I said, okay, how can I follow up with you? He said, well, you can email me, but I'm going to have to call you because they still don't allow me to, to tell, to, you know, to give out my phone number and to list my phone number. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's thank God he's he's really lovely, lovely. And uh, we were heartbroken, obviously, to hear about Esther. Uh, everybody understands, you know, the human side, the human story here. Uh, obviously, it's very tragic. And, um, you know, like I wrote, I just hope that he feels the support that he obviously will need, given all that, that they fought for so long to be able to be here together. And uh, obviously, it's not the not the storyline ending that people had wanted for them. But, um, you know, we just send him lots of support and love. Absolutely. I can agree with that more. And if for any reason you speak to him, please extend uh, our condolences and that we're thinking of him. And uh, listen, he fought the fight and he's still fighting the fight. He's always going to have to fight the fight. And I'm sure it's going to be a little bit more difficult without his very loving wife, uh, Esther. Correct. Was uh, was yeah, his wife's name? Esther. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, on, on that note, and I don't, I don't mean to um, 
be floating around on, um, and, and like I said before, I do want to go back to um, talking about your, your professional life, but it's, it's also a lot of what I think is so interesting about you is, like we said, your phone is constantly raising the WhatsApps is um, behind the scenes, the work that you do. And I know, especially, I cannot recall in the beginning of the pandemic um, and into the pandemic, how many times, unfortunately, I was listening to funerals or going to funerals and people whom you never knew in your life were reaching out to you to make sure that their loved ones uh, were able to get uh, have, have a proper uh, final resting place in, in Israel. So I think it's a difficult conversation, but it's something that I think was amazing because I know for myself the times that I heard that from 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 people who who didn't even like know it. I was like so proud to know you at that point, uh, and I thought it was just an amazing thing. And it didn't happen once, it, and it was many times and many times. And and I think it's something just to, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I think it's something to to touch upon. It's such an important conversation, and I'm happy that you brought it up. Actually, um, it's a it's a, a a field that's very close to my heart. Uh, my husband and I lost a son six years ago, a baby who was born prematurely. And, um, you know, previous to that, I had been director of a, a master urban plan for the Jerusalem metropolitan area. And because of that, I, again, I'd worked with different government agencies and had different connections. And once our son passed away, even though our experience was very lovely in terms of the burial and the Hever Kedisha, I started to hear from other bereaved parents that they were having different experiences and the Chavar Kedisha wouldn't tell them where their baby was buried, which has nothing to do with halacha. And, you know, it's a whole different story. But I started to advocate on behalf of making changes and reforms to how babies are buried in Israel. And through that, uh, there was actually investors who had invested into um, Har Menuchot, and they're building a private cemetery in Har Menuchot and in Har Azetim. And they needed somebody to be a project manager for their project. And it's interesting. It's a great story because it just shows you how God runs the world. But after, um, you know, my son passed away, I took some time off. It was the first time that I hadn't worked ever. And I took some time off, obviously, to try to, uh, you know, rejuvenate and, and regain koach and strength. And the only thing that I really cared about to do during that time was actually to advocate on behalf of these families. And because of that, I became uh, very integrated into all the different Hever Kedishas and the politics and how this all works. And so when these investors were then looking for somebody to manage these projects for them, which was a cemetery, a private cemetery being built in Jerusalem, they were told there's only one person you can go to, Ziva. Why? Mm. Because not only did I do the project management, which was something that I had taken upon myself uh, after I'd finished that master plan, I'd seen all the investors who want to do great things in Israel. They want to bring amazing projects to Israel. And Disney had come and an airport, you know, billionaires who had built uh, airports and, and they all didn't make it because they didn't know how to enter into the bureaucratic, uh, you know, wheel that is the systems here in Israel. And so I had done that, uh, you know, professionally since completing that master plan. And they were told you have to go to Ziva because not only does she do the project management, but she knows all the Hebrew Kedishas. And so this whole concept of trying to help people who unfortunately are coming here for burial is something very close to my heart. I don't want anybody to have to go through any horror stories, whether it be culturally because there's a difference between what they're expecting 
and the Heber Kaddishas are expecting, whether it be a language barrier, whether it be just a logistics barrier, right? Somebody unfortunately has somebody who passes away and now all of a sudden they're trying to call their brother's uncle's aunt's cousin's neighbor to try to find somebody connected to the Heber Kaddisha to find a kever, to, you know, be able to coordinate everything. And it's such a mess in general. People don't know what time the funerals are that being able to be there for other bereaved families in that, in those moments, in those hours afterward, when you have to make a thousand decisions, you know, and, and you're not able to think straight and you have to make this all at one time and being able to handhold them through the process so that they can actually, you know, reserve their, their, their strength and their energies for the hard work of bereavement and grief uh, is something that I do, you know, that's my chesed, meaning that I do that professionally, I do that personally, uh, I help moderate actually an international bereavement group that's online for bereaved Jewish mothers. It's something that's very, very close to me. And, and even with the cemetery that we're building, um, this the support services that we are going to be offering are completely different than anything that exists in Israel today, because we want to handhold everybody through that process. So I don't want any families sitting in some hotel room eating burgers bar that they, you know, ordered for themselves because nobody's taking care of them during Shiva. We want to make sure that everything is set up for them, that they're taking care of, that they're in a proper place, that they're not sitting by themselves, that they have the meals that they want. You know, they have enough to worry about. And being able to alleviate some of that burden is, uh, is very meaningful to me. And unfortunately, you need somebody who's gone through it to be able to know how to do it. And you know, who then has the energies to still, you know, to still be able to be involved in it. And it's, it's a very special uh, mission that I didn't know was going to be part of, of my tafkid in life. But I'm grateful for the fact that I've been able to um, be involved with these amazing families. And, and again, I, I call bereaved Jewish parents Hashem's legion for Mashiach. Because I promise you, nobody's davening for Mashiach more than a bereaved uh, mother is. Sure. Sure. And I could, I could say something else. And I, I think I gave a little bit of a intro to this, you know, um, as as tough as this topic is to discuss, unfortunately, it is it is life. Uh, to add a little bit of a um, sprinkle, a little bit of humor on this topic, I could guarantee you, anybody who is going to listen to this podcast is going to be pleasantly surprised uh, to hear us covering this topic. But it's a very very important and relevant topic, and I know something that you spend an enormous amount of time on and and navigating, and just jumping to other things that you're you're involved in from. Um, professional, volunteer, family, yeshiva. I mean, there, there's, there's, or the yeshiva uh, and and all the, um, the students, uh, the bachim. I, I, I've heard not only from you but from from many of the uh, people who go through your house on a regular, regular basis. Whether it's uh, like we said earlier, Shabbos, Yantif. Uh, or, or just coming to schmooze with the Rav, uh, your house is one of uh, always being open and um, always always dealing with things. But at the end, uh, you are someone that has not 24 hours a day, uh, 48 hours a day, and and you make uh, you, you utilize every single minute to to um, produce and just to do good and spread the glands love. Um, I do want to jump into. And something why we kind of pushed uh, to try to make this conversation really, really happen uh, now, and why I'm going to release this on on the pod much, much earlier is because, um, you know, I I kind of looked pretty cool for a while when people call me and, and they would have issues, you know, getting into Israel um, do, during the pandemic and things were changing so quickly. And I'll be like, okay, I can always help you. And my number one go-to person was always Ziva, and you always were just. Um, 
able to speak with, with, with anybody who knows um, if you were looking to go and travel to Israel, even God forbid, if it, if it was for a tragedy or even for a simcha, uh, the, the, the paperwork, uh, the application, the testing, the process, everything was changing. Times people could have been in flight, things were changing, so on and so forth. Thank, now, thank God, things are better. So can you tell me a couple things? Where do you see things? You know, I, I, I know from a, a, a tourist perspective, uh, people are still a little bit shaky about coming. It's a little bit hard for younger kids to get in. But are you seeing things picking up from a, a tourist perspective? Do you think um, that Israel has lost out in an enormous amount from a uh, economical perspective? You're on the ground. Uh, small business owners that rely on tourism. Is Has there been any type of government relief? I know I just throw a lot at you, but you can handle it. So in terms of the, the process, obviously it was a massive uh, hot mess, basically, for a long time. And there was many, many fantastic people on the ground who were really trying to work and help people in any capacity. And, uh, you know, it's a whole conversation in itself about the months where literally 24 hours, there was just calls coming in and different situations. I mean, unbelievable stories of people who needed to get in, get out, and, and how, you know, people helped to try to arrange that. And I, I definitely have to give a shout out to Chaim Bechesed. I have to give a shout out to Dov Litman and, and Yad Olim and, and just fantastic people who, you know, really, really tried to make things happen. And, and I think really, um, you know, the pinnacle of that, I think, had to do a lot with uh, the families around the Miron tragedy and how everybody banded together. All the people who were trying to help on the ground here uh, and who had the ability to be connected with the authorities and with the police uh, and how we helped the families and you know, I think it, it took a few of us uh, a good number of weeks to recover just from that incident alone because of what we ended up going through with the families. Um, but it was certainly certainly a, a crazy situation. And I think that um, a lot of things changed during that time. I think, first of all, people came to appreciate the fact that they can come to Israel. I have to tell you that another, another hat that I wear is that we're helping groups make Aliyah. And because of the fact that people were not able to come here, I can tell you that there's a lot of people who decided in that moment that they realized that Israel wasn't necessarily always going to be open to them, that it was time and it was time to move and make that move. A lot of people are either making Aliyah or have made Aliyah as a result of it. In terms of the, the situation here, it's beautiful to all of a sudden see tourists in the streets. Um, you know, I, I described it to somebody when they first started to trickle back here about two months ago. I said, it's like, we've all been at this like, you know, family weekend, you know, like we've been just like closed in and all of a sudden we're coming back out into the world. Like, you just saw these streets empty for so long. And all of a sudden now you're driving down the streets of Yushalayim and you can notice the tourists walking here and there. I get like excited, you know, like everybody's coming home to this family reunion. Um, so it's very, very exciting to have people. I've definitely had people who have not been here for two and a half years who have shown up here now in the past month or so. Uh, very exciting to have. Has there been damage? Uh, undoubtedly. I mean, you go into the hotels and, you know, they look, a lot of them look dusty. You know, there was, there was huge sections of the hotels that were literally roped off and closed for a, a significant portion of the time. And some of the hotels that were closed entirely, like the David Citadel Hotel, it literally just shut down. There was no purpose for them to be open. Is it, is um, it open? Is, is, is the Citadel open right now? Do you know? It is. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I myself took my family on a vacation during this period of time. And it was bizarre to just be in a hotel and have only Israelis there, have very small staff. You know, the, the, the number of staff there was very much reduced. <sighs> Um, it was, you know, the prices were out of control for Israelis, by the way. It's not like we got anything cheaper because nobody right. was showing up. 
Uh, so it was, it was a very bizarre time. I'm very happy to see that things are opening. I know that there is a big debate in Israel itself between people who are happy because of the, the economic, obviously, benefits of having the tourists back. And they're worrying about their, you know, their, their, their loved ones who have businesses who are dependent on it versus those who feel that they're opening up the skies uh, recklessly and it's putting people at risk here. So there is honestly a very strong internal debate amongst Israelis on this topic. But all in all, I just had a meeting actually with um, with a, the head of a, a chain of, soup, of, of stores. And, you know, he was describing to me a little bit of his economic uh you know, the ramifications economically for him just during this whole downturn. And this is a guy who's considered very successful, has a very famous chain of stores. Right. And I said to him, I said, like, you know, how are you going to survive? From what you're describing to me, I don't know how you make it out of this. And he said, uh, that's why I have to start looking for other businesses. And this is, again, this is a famous name, been around in Israel for probably 40, 50 years. And that's what he's saying to me. So certainly there's there's been a tremendous uh, impact. And allow me to bring this up as well. Do you think that some of the um, delays of opening up the country has anything to do with, everyone knows Israel is referred to as the startup nation, how successful um, multiple, multiple startups have been, um, the amount of money that is coming into the country uh, today, and it's not going to slow down. If anything, it's going to pick up. Um, had anything to do with like not opening for tourism? Because when you really look at tourist numbers, okay, tourist numbers, the last number I checked was Israel had only 3 million tourists um, before the pandemic that, that year. That's not a big number. You know, when, when, when we think about it, it's, it's really not a big number. You talk about, uh, for example, New York City, just to, to give people some, something to arrange on the radar. New York City, I think, was up to 66 million tourists. So you're talking about 3 million tourists, but yet it seems like everybody um, who wanted to go goes, and, that, and those 3 million people who are coming are coming with, with money in their pocket to spend, to support the small businesses, go out to eat, go to the hotels, take people out. You know, it's a real and, – and I think – I just don't know in my own – you know, when, I, when I'm trying to process these things, do you think anything with the success of the startup nation and the startups um, had anything to do with the slowdown of opening? And do you see uh, do you see any foresight of the country closing back down to tourists? Okay, so in order to answer that, I'm going to take a step back, actually, because Israel's problems in this area started before COVID. And by that, I mean the following. According to the WTO, okay, the World Tourism Organization, yep. the projection for tourists in Israel by the year 2040 was supposed to be 10 million tourists in Israel pre-COVID. And that was yeah. 20, in, in, in the projected number for in, in the year of 2040 was 10 Correct. million. Correct. Okay, I just wanted to million. reiterate okay, that. Okay. Yes, that's not an Israeli statistic, meaning that is the WTO coming up with that statistic. Um, and that was the projection for how many tourists we were going to have here in Israel by the year 2040. Now, Israel's problem has always been that it came up so quickly that they never really had the opportunity to think through how they want to set up their systems. So, for instance, with this 10 million number, okay, tourist number, they never thought, okay, wait, if we have 10 million tourists here, that means that we have to have X number of hotel rooms. So one of the things that I was doing, actually, when I was director of the master plan was working with the authorities to make them realize 
that if we're going to keep up to that 10 million tourist number, that means that we have to be building 3,000 hotel rooms a year that Israel is not building, and they will therefore fail miserably once we get to the high tourist numbers. Same thing for the airport. Ben Gurion Airport is about to, in the next few years, run out of capacity. Now it's going to take Israel. And this is already. Years. This is already with the the new airport, which wasn't open that long ago, as far as it, airport standards. Correct. It was, in, and the runways were extended, and now its capacity is at 16 million passengers a year, and that's going to actually run out before we build ourselves a new airport because they can't decide where to build the airport. So Israel had an issue in terms of planning pre-COVID. And what I think that the startup nation did for it is that it, it t- tried to create this shift of mindset, which is, okay, we can't just be in desperation mode like we've been since 1948. We have to now go back into our systems and we have to be as forward thinking as these startups are and as innovative as these startups are. And we have to go back into our systems and make sure that we are running things as efficiently and as technologically savvy as we possibly can. And that created a shift in terms of the stage in which Israel itself finds itself. It's no longer in that we just became a nation overnight. We have to absorb all these people. We're in desperation mode. That's how everything was functioning here. And you felt that when you walked into the interior ministry and they had no idea what they were talking about and things weren't computerized and everything was a mess. And now what Israel has done, thankfully, is that they're going back into each of these ministries and each of these systems and they're rethinking them and saying, we are the startup nation. We should be functioning at a higher level. And how do we do that? So I think that that will help them towards the future. Um, hopefully, obviously, we can bring the tourism back. I don't see, as, as of right now, okay, so long as Naftali Bennett is prime minister, I do not see Israel closing, uh, save for something absolutely catastrophic. If everybody remembers, he actually wrote a whole manifesto uh, while Bibi was prime minister about how you don't have to close the economy during COVID, and he doesn't believe in lockdowns. And we're seeing the, you know, He's standing by his word in that sense is that we see the results of that right now, meaning a lot of people are arguing with him that the school should have been shut down and things should have been, you know, more restricted. And he's not choosing that path because that is his philosophy in general. And therefore, I think that things will stay open. Will we have short term openings, closings depends on waves that come. That's a possibility. But long term, I don't think that it will be closed for good. I think the point that you bring up and, it, and, and I think it's oxymoron almost that um is that here we are, we're talking about a startup nation that's incredibly successful, right? Incredibly successful. And then we come to Ziva Glance, right? And exactly what you said and, and, and how you operate, navigating the rough waters the, um, of, of the government policies. And I think like what you said is if the government and all the miscellaneous departments are able to learn of the success of the startup nation, right? And to integrate that into the municipalities, the government, so on and so forth, how much easier it will be to be able to navigate uh, and do business in Israel where things are, you know, thriving from a real estate perspective, the value in Israel, no one needs to have a real estate one-on-one course on this. I mean, it's, it's, it's booming. Technology, booming. Other, other sectors and industries, Booming. Now that uh, tourism is, is God willing, going to continue, it's, it's, it's amazing to see. And, and hopefully by 2040, somehow, some way, some, uh, someone will invent some caravan uh, hotels that I guess could be um, 
blown up or, you know, uh, with some oxygen from the desert. I don't know. But it all, you know, it all sounds really amazing. And I think that just taking off of like what we've seen over the last 24 hours here in the States, um, I don't know if you had a chance to see, uh, obviously in in Orlando over the last two weeks, the um, amount of uh, from people down there for winter breaks um, has, has, I think, been record breaking as far as I could see. I don't keep any real, any real record, any real records but i can tell you just from from my own business that uh the numbers are just unbelievable and what i witnessed yesterday of of uh, a bunch of people dressed as as neo-nazis standing in a very specific overpass knowing that a very popular overpass and standing as the people are driving into parks or different attractions okay and this is what we're seeing here uh, today and then and then you have with the stupidity of of Whoopi Goldberg, okay, which is what takes over you know these two things, you know, um, is a big sign that that we need we need uh, Israel to get up and and running and being able to smooth things out so uh, tourism can keep going because I think the one thing we have learned from um, from the pandemic is unfortunately. How and I, I'm not only speaking about Israel specifically; I'm speaking about the entire world. How easy it's become uh, to close something down, you know. And so someone could have a meeting and say, "Okay, we're going to close down," and that's it. It's 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 done. I think that's one of the things that is is unbelievable uh, to to possibly even fathom that before the pandemic to think that places could close down, whether it's a country, a hotel, a restaurant, a business, a school, the list goes on and on and on with the flick of the switch, but then it takes so long to do the preparations to get these things back open. And God willing that everything um, stays on path, things stay positive. You keep seeing the streets full, um, certainly with uh, the upcoming uh, I know, I know Perm's not typically a uh, big time for a lot of people to come from uh, tourists from, from uh, the States, from Europe, from all over the world. But God willing, you know, people are really ramping up for, for, for Pesach. I know myself, uh, clients who over the last couple of years uh, have been with me and, and, and we've done Pesach for them. And even when they were here, their heart was in Israel because that's where they want to be. And God willing, they, they will be able to make their you know, their, their way there. And um, everything's just stay really good. And I, I, I can't thank you so much for joining me. If you have just a, a couple of uh, comments to uh, sign off, that would be amazing. Well, first of all, I'm waiting for you to do what you do here in Israel because nobody does it like you. So I'm waiting for you to start uh, doing your experiences here in Israel. I'll sign up uh, for your first, your first client. Um, I, I think that if for a podcast that's called Living the Dream, I, I would have to end with the following. Uh, what you were saying now is very true, which is that people have come to appreciate more the fact that they can come to Israel because they don't take it for granted anymore. And as I mentioned beforehand, a lot of people have seen that and decided, you know what, we don't ever want to be locked out. And a lot of people are thinking much more now about Aliyah. And one of the things that I volunteer with is we are working with the authorities to try to create new communities here in Israel that are specifically geared towards Olim, okay, because Ramap HMS and Efrat and Modiyin can't be the catch-all for everybody. There's not enough room in them. Um, and so we're creating new communities. And I think that uh, besides being tourists here, I think that a lot of people are looking to come here. And so for, if we're talking about living the dream, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna add there another go. super level, Doug. And I know there you support you. A hundred percent, and 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 as only you could do, figure out the way to twist this whole thing and 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 summarize it um, and 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 make sense of it. And I, I really. I thank you so much. Please send my very, very best to the to the Rav and to everybody else. And I can't wait to speak to you again. And I thank you for making the time to joining uh, me on the podcast of Living the Dream. All right? Pleasure always. My pleasure. We'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Ziva. Have a good one. Okay, bye-bye. You've just listened to another amazing episode of Living the Dream, powered by the Douglas Sokloff Experience. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to get notified when a new episode is live. You can also follow us on social media or visit our website, douglasexp.com. If you'd like to book an experience with us, you can call us at 917-541-1033. Until next week.